What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Before you mash that fast forward button to move to the beginning of today's episode, I'd like to quickly tell you about some ways you can support the show and everything that I'm doing right now. You can support the show on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash Chase Thomas Writer. Again, just go on over to patreon.com slash Chase Thomas Writer. Become a patron for as little as $5 a month. Or you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and a review. It's incredibly important with the way iTunes works. So if you have a second, please leave a rating and or review and subscribe on iTunes. Uh, you can listen to the show on Spotify, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, Google Play, and wherever else you get your podcasts, you can check out chasethomaspodcast.com. That is on my previous episode, a link to my newsletter, and all my articles that I've written. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter at chase double underscore Thomas. You can like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash chase Thomas writer, or you can just tell a friend you found this independent sports podcast that they should check out too. Thank you for listening. You're all the best. And I think we've reached the point in this intro where my uncle Darren can play me in. All right, let's go. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, the NFL draft has happened. Matt Ryan finally got paid. Kawhi Leonard may or may not be a spur after this summer. And to talk about all of that, my old friend Carlos Medina of the number one sports radio station in Atlanta. Los, how are you? Hey, no complaints here, Chase. Just running some errands and uh, ready to talk a little bit of uh, football and Spurs basketball with you. So I, I need to ask first off, I we have not talked since your Dallas Vodka. Um, <laughs> I don't even know what to call it. Your or like, what is that? Like, this is a new thing. Is it has? To, how much does it have to do with you? Like, um, get, you can plug away here. I'm very curious about what's going on with this Dallas Vodka because we've never talked about it. Well, you know what? I'm I'm always interested in plugging Delos Vodka. It's you know what? Sometimes things come together in a really weird way. And and here's the 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 quick version of the story. So I had had the same sponsor of my segment, Front Office Lows, for about three years, and the segment suddenly became open. the The contract was done, and there was a distributing company, uh, an alcohol distributing company in the city of Atlanta, that said wait a minute, uh, we have a new product that we have out of Texas called Delos Vodka. Uh, we think it's going to do very well. Why don't we align forces here? And so suddenly I you know, met with the guys and you know tried the product, and I'm already a vodka drinker to start with. Uh, so suddenly it was front office Los, brought to you by Delos Vodka, and the guys have just given me liberty to do whatever I want. So that's where the whole hashtag get good and everything else uh, you know, everybody who's who's uh, who's dug into it has really enjoyed it, and so it's uh, it's it's been one of those perfect marriages where you know I'm not having to I'm not having to talk about stuff that's that's too outside of my wheelhouse. I'm talking about vodka, and I'm talking about good vodka, and I get to do it on my segment. I'm still waiting on my Coors Light sponsorship. Um, I'm the <laughs> only one still fighting the good fight and um, dealing with the backlash from all my friends because IPAs are just getting bigger and bigger, and everybody loves Scofflaw, and Scofflaw is good, but. Uh, yeah, I am still one of those people holding out on um, 
Miller Lite and Coors Light. So shout out to them. Um, that's cool. I'm glad it works. I get it. Um, I assume you have like just a basement full of Taylor's vodka. When people come over, they're kind of concerned about your well-being. You're like, no, 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 it's fine. It's uh, it's my uh, sponsorship deal. So I just get these all the time. Well, you, you, the other parents in the neighborhood always make it a point to, hey, what do you have going on down there? Are we making some mules? Are we doing whatever? <laughs> and so they just know you come to my basement, there's going to be a lot of liquor there. There you go. Um, so a lot's changed, though, at uh, the Chuck and Turnoff show. Like Chuck Oliver is now 75 pounds. Uh, Matt is the exact same and doesn't age ever. So there's something going on there. Uh, whenever I see a picture of Matt, uh, he looks the exact same when I interned at the show. So I don't know why that's the case, but good for him. And then Hoyt, married, kid, and also devolving as a human being from every video that I see. So a lot of, a lot of confusing <laughs> times. Well, see, that's the thing. Like you knew us from, you know, probably five, six years ago. Matt has actually made a deal with Satan. And, and that is why all he's yeah. doing is, is getting some gray hairs. Uh, Chuck is doing one of his crazy diets and it's working out well. And, and I always just look at it and say, hey, you're making some life changes. Stick with him this time because he's capable of doing this sort of stuff. And now with Hoyt, he's got baby number two on the way. So you want to talk about a guy that's, oh, wow. uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a little bit crazy from that standpoint. I guess uh, me, I just, I just stay boring. I just got the two little ones that run the house and, you know, just trying to keep things uh, afloat around here. Yeah. And I saw you were at the Atlanta United game last night. I have not been yet. Is it fun? Good? Good experience? Yeah, it's, it's a great time. And, and here's what's so wild about it. And I, I try and describe this to anybody who hasn't been. It is, it is all Atlanta. It is your team. It is not a team that you inherited from somebody else. It was, here are your guys. Uh, it's put together its first rate from Arthur Blank and the entire organization. And they do it right. You know, they were, they were leading the conference, uh, uh, going into to last night's game, and I got a chance to to go over there and watch them play Sporting KC. Uh, unfortunately, they came out on the wrong end. But you want to talk about in and out of the building? We walked in the door at seven thirty. We walked out the door at nine thirty. So it's pretty quick, and it's a lot of fun. That's good. Um, it's kind of refreshing to have games where you just know that it's in. It is kind of. I guess hockey would be the closest uh, sporting event where it's just. It feels like it just went by. Co- amazingly fast and it was over um a lot of playoff basketball games can feel like four hours and those nine o'clock starts are are killer and then of course nfl games where it's like i hate looking at just the data of just how much you're actually seeing of the actual game versus like commercials and everything else where it does feel like it's going on and on forever but anyway um the nfl draft just happened and you are a big draft guy um you have uh, the big board uh, that I think what was it like top thirty? So we 30? go. Oh no, oh no, Chase. We do a top fifty every year, but I typically 50. have to look okay. at. I typically look at about ninety-five to a hundred guys every year, trying to get that top fifty together. Okay, um, who was your favorite on your top fifty this year? Not who did you grade the highest? Who was your favorite? As as far as like an entire team, as far as what they did, is is because for me. I, I, you know, I, I don't, I don't, I don't grade drafts. What I will do is what I'll say is that if you do things to change the dynamic of your team, what was the problem you had and what did you do to fix it? What did you do to, to infuse young talent to change that? The Chicago bears, I really liked what they did in part because mm-hmm. if, if you're going to tell me that you're coming out of the draft with the number one linebacker in Roquan Smith, the number one center, in my opinion, in James Daniels, and then you're getting yourself a top 50 receiver in Anthony Miller. 
Now you're starting to talk about adding weapons. You're now starting to, you know, talking about changing uh, what a team is about. You know, I, I bring up a guy who was not drafted in Cody Whitehair. Cody Whitehair was a second-round pick two years ago out of Kansas State. Chicago has been so banged up and had so many issues on the interior of their offensive line, they moved Whitehair to center last year. Well, suddenly, now that you have James Daniels, you can put Whitehair back in his regular spot. That's what I talk about improving you know, the 53-man roster and making everything uh, you know, make a lot more sense. They, along with Tampa, Tampa was the worst team in the league in terms of sacks last year. You know, they sacked the quarterback about 22 times. They were awful at it. Well, you add Jason Pierre-Paul through trade, you suddenly find yourself adding some weapons and going to get Vita Baez and other defensive, uh, defensive linemen that could be an impact. Yeah, you're talking about changing the, the dynamic of the team. That is what I, I think is real, always very important with teams. It, it's not about, hey, this guy got really great value. This team, you know, this team got this. I, I, that, that we end up finding out four or five years down the road. That's really when you can do it. But if you can change what a team looks like going into training camp, I think you've done something well in the draft. The Bears are fascinating for me because uh, you're not the first person I've heard hype them up. And Ryan Pace, he's still the youngest GM in uh, the NFL. But one of the things that I thought was interesting is that he was lambasted for previous drafts early on in his Bears tenure because he was drafting a lot of like non-Power 5 guys. And it seemed like he had a propensity for going after the small school like the Delawares, the Delaware States, and just taking flyers on superstars in the D3 route. And there's not a good track record of that. It's basically the opposite of what the Bengals do. I think the Bengals have the highest like power five uh, drafts. And then, of course, you have like Ozzie Newsom who has to draft at least two Alabama kids every year. So we'll miss that after he's gone this year because I think this was his last draft. But um, the Bears are in a weird spot because a lot of it depends on what happens with Trubisky. And like you said, they addressed a lot of needs and they injected a lot of youth and a lot of talent into that roster. And they obviously added Allen Robinson in free agency. We know we, they have in Tariq Cohen and just they have a lot of talent now. However, they're still in the same division as Aaron Rodgers and Kirk Cousins and the Minnesota Vikings. So I keep going back to that Trevor Sikama of Peter Report and I were talking about this last week where it was like, they can do a lot of good, and I still am pretty low on their chances of being competitive or really getting over the hump in the next couple of years because I just don't see the Vikings going anywhere. I, I just love what that team is. I love their defense. I love the Kirk Cousins signing. I love everything about them. And then as long as Aaron Rodgers exists and is on the field, um, I don't see a way for them to fall off. And they, um, to their credit, addressed their biggest need, which was their secondary. They drafted Jair Alexander, who um, had a high grade on PFF. They drafted... Uh, Josh Jackson out of Iowa, who I thought the Falcons would draft late in the first, who he still would have made a lot more sense to me than Ridley, but we can talk about that later. But um, they addressed their needs. They signed Muhammad Wilkerson in free agency. They get Jimmy Graham. Like the Bears can do a lot right, and they're still kind of screwed because the top two teams in that division are just really, really good, and I don't see them going anywhere anytime soon. Well, it's all quarterback play. You know, everything yeah. is mandated by quarterback play. And you see this in all these divisions where, where teams evolve. You know, the Chicago Bears, if they get a jump in year two from Mitch Trubisky, okay, now we're talking about something that's that's more interesting. But if it's just, you know, run-of-the-mill, solid quarterback play in the second year, but it's not spectacular, well, then, yeah, I'm, I'm with you on every part because the other three teams are certainly better across the board. It's very similar to what happened in San Francisco last year. You saw Jimmy yeah. Garoppolo get in there. It's a five-game win streak because they got outstanding quarterback play. 
now that's a team and that's a division, whether it's, you know, it's golf, you know, obviously with the Rams, you know, it's Russell Wilson, who as soon to be 30 years old is suddenly the old man of the group. You know, it, it's what's going to happen in 30? Arizona. Yeah. He's oh coming God. up on 30. He's, he's about well, he to was in college for like eight years. <laughs> yeah. He, he, he's been around, but yeah, he's about to turn 30. That's how quickly it happens in this league. And so you are talking about a, another one of those divisions where it, it starts and finishes with the quarterback play and how good is your quarterback play? Like think about this in the NFC East. The best quarterback in the, in, in the division can be debated. You can go through that round and round, but you can also have a discussion that maybe the worst quarterback in that division is a two-time Super Bowl winner and a probable Hall of Famer in Eli Manning. That, that's how crazy important quarterback play is in this league. Yep. I think that's true. Yeah, I mean, if you go, I mean, I'm still, I don't know where you are with the Cowboys right now, but um, I'm a believer, and I think they're going to have, like, it's like a post-Ewing theory jump with no Dez, no Witten. Like, I, I just, that team was just really good when they had Zeke and Dak Prescott in the field together. And I just, I like the linebacker pick, and I, I don't know, I think we're going to, they're going to surprise people. Like, if they went 10-6 and six this year, that would not really surprise me all that much. Well, consider this: they were nine and seven last year, missing their best player for six games. Yep. you know that, that's that's you know first and foremost, there's the 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 silver lining. But I would say this: that when you take a look at some of the advanced stats and some of the numbers, uh, you've had a guy in Dak Prescott so for the last two years who have been throwing to receivers that are just not creating a lot of space. He was number he was second to last in the league as far as the amount of space that his receivers were creating from defenders. That's why they overhauled the group. It's not just about uh, you know, talking about you know Des Bryant and wh- whether or not he can still play in this league, it goes well beyond Des. It also turns into Terrence Williams having to be a, a better as a route runner, uh, Cole Beasley, yep. you know, having to be able to get away from double teams. You know, that's why they drafted Michael Gallup. That's why they went with Cedric Wilson later in the draft. They made it a point to overhaul and bring in essentially four new wide receivers to their group. Uh, you know, Tavon Austin, if you want to add him as a as a wide receiver running back, they decided their guys do not do a good enough job of creating separation. They were moving across the board. So this is this is kind of a, a little bit of a rebirth year to see what that turns into with Dallas and with Dak Prescott. Are you at least a little worried, though, they didn't draft another uh, high upside, uh, low or a high upside character issue pass rusher <laughs> guy this year? Because that's been their bread and butter. And I, I'm a little concerned that they didn't find their eventual David Irving replacement. The David Irving will start with this. David Irving is seven sacks in seven games last year. He's mm-hmm. this incredible specimen. You don't know where his head is at. And so as a restricted free agent, when they gave him the second round tender, there was a part of me that was going, please, somebody come sign him. See if you can get a second round pick out of this. They, Brandy Gregory is still on the horizon. You know, Next week, he's supposed to apply for reinstatement. I, I think here's the, the deal with the Cowboys. You have this mix between since 2011. They're one of the best drafting teams in the NFL. And we, we've had so many yep. people in the past week that have been regrading previous drafts. And 2014 makes sense because now guys are going into their fifth-year options. So, you know, Jake mm-hmm. Matthews, for instance, going into his fifth-year option, you, you have people looking back at that draft. Their first two draft picks that year were Zach Barton at guard and then Demarcus Lawrence at defensive end. Incredible. So, you're, yeah, yeah you're, you're, they hit home runs right now. But part of the thing is, is that then they also will take chances because they feel like they do a pretty good job of drafting. You know, if they're drafting eight guys, they feel like seven of them can be team captains, model citizens, big schools. But you know what? There's one guy that we're going to take that's a little bit out there. And so that's been kind of their MO of late. It didn't happen in this past draft, uh, which I'm right right there with you. I was waiting for, okay, who's the troublemaker going to be? You know, is it going to be Antonio Callaway? But 
Uh, again, that, that's just oh the direction God. they tried to go. That would have been perfect. Oh it would have been God, perfect. Callaway. Um, man, that I love the Browns draft because it's so like it can go so many different ways. And I like, have you looked at their front office like structure before? Like just seeing that. So one of my favorite things is going through like NFL teams front offices and just seeing how um, then some are like the Bengals have four people total, basically. And right. then you have the Browns, which is populated by like 73 people right now and then you have like scott mcgloon who's apparently like in john dorsey's ear which i did not know prior to the draft that he had resurfaced in cleveland and that and he had that much of a voice with john dorsey which i mean it's good because he was a he had, he's always had a great eye for talent and he's was great in washington before he left um but cleveland man so there was a really good piece on espn.com about the number one and number four picks uh, teams that have had two top five picks in the draft and how that's worked out. And like the most recent example was the Redskins in like 2000 with LeVar Arrington, like Curtis Samuels. Oh yeah. And obviously like it rarely works out where both of them actually end up hitting. It's uh, it's not good. Teams don't have a lot of success right after that. And my whole thing was like, I think you just take a quarterback one and then you trade that number four spot because somebody would want that pick to move up like the Cardinals bills, whoever um that needs one of the other quarterbacks who falls a little bit that's what i would have done but they didn't do that and they took denzel ward who bucky brooks who i like a lot uh had as his number one defensive back which is a huge need for them because if you watched the browns last year at all which i understand if you didn't they were playing like 40 yards off the line they had (laughs) miles garrett who was awesome and they nailed that but it was really their pass rush and that was it their secondary was absolutely terrible so going with denzel ward made sense that's fine but it's just so rare um, in NFL history. You're just fighting history to uh, bank on both of these guys hitting. And I just, I was surprised that Dorsey didn't trade down number four. Would you have traded down if you were in their spot? No, uh, in part because I wanted to make sure that I came out of this particular draft with at least one top five player. You know, for me, none of the quarterbacks were top five players. You know, oh, I, wow. I, I, I did. I think the, the first guy I would have had off, off my board, I believe in the top 50 was, was Sam Darnold. I think I had him at like eight. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, but I had Denzel Ward as a top five, you know, Denzel Ward was to me head and shoulders above every other corner, you know, after him, I had Jair Alexander you know, I, I, I had a lot of respect for him, but Denzel Ward was a different kind of cat. And so when you know, you're going to draft a quarterback at number one, you're pretty much conceding. I'm not getting one of the upper echelon. You know, there, there was no Andrew Luck here, one of the you know blue chip prospects. But if I'm sitting on the number four pick, I am going to make sure that I get one of those. Whether that ends up being Chubb, whether that ends up being Ward, uh, you know, those were the, the, the you know two of the next three guys that I had along with Quentin Nelson as as far as being the top players in the draft. Now, here's the thing too, and here's the other side of the pancake of what you brought up here. When you're picking two times in the top five, top three. Typically, you're a bad football team to start with. And so when you talk about your know, track record of success, yeah, mm-hmm. bad teams are bad teams. It's like when anybody wants to argue about taking wide receivers in the first round and, well, look how badly some of these guys in the top 10 go. Well, most of those teams who draft wide receivers in the top 10 don't have quarterbacks because that's why they're picking in the top 10. Uh, it's yep. funny what happens when a, when a Michael Thomas gets drafted uh, to the Saints in his first year and everyone goes, Whoa, he went for 1,100 yards. Well, yeah, he's talented. He's playing with Drew Brees. It's funny how that works. Yeah. They, they go hand in hand. And so, you know, for me, I thought so much of that draft for them was about changing the mentality of that organization that if you were looking for the, 
we've won one game in two years, and this guy coming in doesn't care, and he's going to lead this thing. That was Baker Mayfield. That that's that's the guy who's a two-time walk-on who's been told multiple times you can't do it. Okay, he's shown he yeah. has been able to do it. So I think that's that was the interesting part for me with that draft. It's changing that dynamic of of taking Loserville and turning it into you know what I'm coming from from Oklahoma. I'm coming with the Heisman Trophy. I've been winning. Now we're going to win over here. I lo- we needed to come up with like a new term to describe chip on your shoulder for Baker because that doesn't feel like that's a strong enough take for him. Yeah, it's not big enough. <laughs> no, and we're, that's not a slight at you, Baker. Not like you not being big enough. Like I, I love Baker, love his accuracy, and I, I had Sam Monson on uh, the pod a couple weeks ago of PFF, who I love, and we were talking about Baker, and he's had Baker as his number one QB for ye- like a year now, mm-hmm. and it was one of those things where. Um, he just, a lot of what you can look at, um, from their data is like, if you have a clean pocket, what's your, what's your QB rating, what's your completion percentage. And that was like one of the the huge red flags with uh, Christian Hackenberg and Josh Allen now is that even when they had a clean pocket, they were still incredibly inaccurate. And if you're inaccurate in college, generally speaking, you're gonna be inaccurate in the pros, which is why the Josh Allen stuff, I'm still pretty low on, but Baker just he's good and he's been really good for a long time and he has the chip on his shoulder and he just he's keeping track of media members um takes which i absolutely love too of just the i told you so uh a couple years later and i hate the johnny Manziel comparisons you knew they were going to be there but like it's just you have to watch him and you just there's something different about him so i've been back and forth on it because i love who he is and the way he plays, but I also am terrified of him being in Cleveland and being the guy just because it's Cleveland and betting on a quarterback to work out in Cleveland at this point is pretty crazy, which is why I really wanted him to fall to um, either Miami with Gase or Denver with Elway. Like that's where I really wanted him to land. Like kind of what we were talking, you were talking about a little bit, which was like, it actually works out for a lot of these guys like Michael Thomas, who falls to New Orleans and he gets in the perfect spot with Drew Brees. Like it actually ends up working out if you can fall a little bit and like Josh Rosen this year, I think he landed in the perfect spot for him. Sure. Him falling away from the Jets and the Giants and teams like that and going to a great organization because Steve Kime is a great gentleman. He's the best general manager in Arizona Cardinals history. And the Cardinals were two years removed from being the Super Bowl favorites in the NFC prior to the season. Like Carson Palmer was an MVP candidate. Feels like forever ago, but it wasn't that long. And uh, I think it's going to work out. But the Baker stuff, I just, I don't know. I want it to work out, but... you can't sell me on a quarterback working out in Cleveland. It doesn't matter because I don't even know who's going to be the coach next year. I don't know. Is it going to be a Trubisky situation where he has to go learn a new scheme after this year because Hugh doesn't even call the plays? Like He has no role in the offense based on his recent quotes, and it's all Haley, and it's so confusing what's going on there. You never know with the Jimmy Haslam, Jimmy Haslam regime, and I, I don't know. I, I'm all over the place with Baker and the Browns right now. Well, it all starts at the top with Haslam, and it's about creating that stability. Every successful NFL program starts with good ownership and then a solid in-place general manager who then has the support throughout the entire organization. That's where I'm kind of curious how how it's going to look now because, obviously, the things that, that went on with Cleveland, especially in the last two or three years, they accumulated so many draft picks that it was all about this year and what they were going to be able to change and what they were going to be able to do. You know, they, they came into the offseason with $110 million in salary cap space. So you know, whether you have people who, 
oh, they overpaid for Jarvis Landry. You have to spend that money. It has to go somewhere. You have to you have to hit your 90% rolling average over three yep. years. They had to spend it. But I, I think what I go back to when it comes to Baker Mayfield, even if you, and, and as you cited, you know, with, with pro football focus and some of their advanced metrics and some of their numbers said, okay, here's the guy. Well, even if you go old school, which Bill Parcells for me is old school. I, I, I have a Bill Parcells football Bible. I, I pray at it every single night. Um, <laughs> even if you go by what Parcells believes in as a three-year starter, you know, touchdown to interception rate, two to one, uh, you know, big game winner, played in big games, you know, all the things that Parcells ever wanted. There was seven criteria that he wanted. There was only two guys that checked it off this year, Baker Mayfield and Mason Rudolph. So even if you're talking about that, that old school scout, he checks all the boxes there too. If he was six four, we would not have this conversation about him at all. It'd yeah. be, oh, what's Baker Mayfield going to do? But you know, being obviously over, you know, just over six one, suddenly everyone, oh my God, he's small. He's this guy's a winner. Guy's a player. I can't wait to watch him at the next level. I forgot which quarterback it was who was talking about how like uh, being tall is actually kind of overrated at the quarterback position because the idea is that you can see over the line and see more stuff, but um hands are up i forgot which quarterback right now brought this up of like it actually really isn't that advantageous to be that much taller and it's still incredibly difficult to see through the trees and all that i I don't remember which one it was it might have been rivers i could be wrong but um with wilson and breeze and everybody else like it's just that doesn't matter um yeah so another thing i want to talk about with the draft um who you are very familiar, like you said, with the top 50. Who were some guys in that top 50 that you think landed in the perfect spot for them? Not the team, but for that particular player. Well, as you stated before, Josh Rosen. Uh, that couldn't have yeah. worked out better. I, I understand him being upset on draft night, uh, You know, talking about the other teams that made mistakes. Well, that's awesome. I want yeah. to be pissed off. <laughs> I love it. I, I love it the same way. Now, this is a team that is going to have to rebuild the interior of their offensive line. They, a lot of people didn't realize, whenever I bring this up, you know, they were a top six team last year in terms of defense. Arizona was yep. really good defensively last year. Uh, unfortunately, because of their injuries at quarterback, because of their, the inconsistency there, you know, they were not able to, to really capitalize. And, and as we pointed out a bit ago, you know, they were just in the NFC title game two years ago. This isn't a, a, a program that is void of talent. It's still about, David Johnson in the backfield and having the right quarterback and you know obviously you got Larry Fitzgerald for another year but you know having Christian Kirk's there now Christian Kirk is now there as a second round pick they've got some weapons and so that that's one of those teams again I I think the NFC West is going to be what we've seen out of the NFC South and the AFC North in recent years the quarterback play Mm -hmm. gets elevated across the board and suddenly it's a bear to deal with every single year for the most part. You know, for years, that you, you Baltimore and, and Pittsburgh would go back and forth, and oh, by the way, Cincinnati would say, hey, we can win the division too. We all have quarterback play. That's what's been going on in the NFC South. That's what's coming to the NFC West. And as I said, I'm, I'm fascinated to see what he's going to be able to do there. Uh, you know, as, as far as some of the other teams, I, I thought it was kind of interesting. For everyone who focused on Dallas and said, you know, wide receiver in the first round, Dallas's season, in part, defensively fell apart whenever Sean Lee would leave the field. So getting yep. Van Der Esch it was, was not a surprise for, for me. It, it, was, it just made sense. It was the pick because when you looked at the construction of their roster, that was their biggest need. It was linebacker. It wasn't wide receiver. It was linebacker all day long. Uh, so I think that's going to be one of those positions where they're going to ask him to come in, probably pay, play middle linebacker for 20, 25 snaps a game, and then put him in the nickel with Sean Lee and just say, run and go chase guys, go chase tight ends, go do what you do very well. I think that ends up working out very well for him. That, that defense is not about 
hey, go run your head to a brick wall for, for 60 plays. That's not the way they play it there. And so I think that's a big help for him. Are you at least concerned, though, a little bit about Vander Esch's uh, neck getting bigger and bigger? Is there a point where he no longer has a neck and his neck and head just turn into one big blob? Just one gigantic muscle. Yeah, always a, yes. a big concern. And, and, and I'm sure scouting circles were just wondering, you know, keep in mind, this is the guy who played eight-man football, who was essentially a walk-on. He was, he was the only guy, when you look at the first round, like everybody always breaks it down. You know, this, you know college football fans will always say, you know, this guy was a three-star. This guy was a five-star. This, this guy was a no-star. He was unrated. He's the only first-round pick that was completely off every major college football team's radar. Uh, so, yeah, it's, 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 it's an interesting story for him. Which team do you think had the worst draft as of right now? Oakland. If you had to, if we look five years down Oakland. the line, which one are you going to – Oakland, okay. Oakland, all day long. All day long. Okay. Here's where I, I – I, first off, I can't tell you. Again, I, I haven't – I haven't gotten a chance to, to, you know, some of these kids, I get a chance to talk to them when we do the senior bowl and everything else. I have not gotten a chance to talk with Colton Miller personally from the tape. I didn't think he was a first round pick. I didn't think he was a top 50 pick, but as soon as he went to the combine and ran his 10 yard split, suddenly everybody went, Ooh, you know, we're talking about a six, nine, really interesting athlete at left tackle, but interesting doesn't block defensive ends in the NFL. Uh, this, this is a guy who was consistently, <laughs> yeah. you know, blown off the ball. Now he could get to the second level and get to linebackers and do some things athletically, but the strength of his game wasn't there. Oakland got beat by San Francisco. San Francisco made the move. They were able to land Mike McGlinchey. As soon as that happened, Oakland lost their opportunity for their left tackle that they had to basically uh, put somebody in. They, 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 they've got some age over there on that side of their offensive line. They needed somebody young. So they decided let's move down and end up with what they felt was the next best left tackle. For me, I think it was a reach. But then you start going through the rest of their draft. Uh, for instance, when I, when I started looking at Maurice Hurst, this is where I keep going back to with this. You had so many teams that looked at Mo Hurst and said, it would be irresponsible, dangerous, and silly to put this kid on a football field. We're not drafting him. And so he just kept falling and was falling. Was it that serious? It is that serious. Now, it, it, it's a heart condition he was able to get clearance. He said he was able to get clearance at Michigan. I talked to one person who told me this. There is corrective surgery for his condition. But if you, uh-huh. have, but if you have the surgery, your football career is over. So here's the oh, problem. Wow. You now draft a player that if anything happens to him, it's on, your, it's on your watch. It's on you. Also, can you imagine, Chase, if he's productive in, let's say, his first year, but yet has some sort of episode, has some sort of issue, and decides, maybe I need to have this surgery – You've now put yourself in a position as an organization where you have to actually discuss, hey, son, maybe you shouldn't have it so you can keep playing football. Now you're in a weird place. And so oh, that's the, not even weird. That's just shitty. Like, that's right. not a place you want to be in. You're, no. no. Yeah, and, and, and so a lot of teams just didn't want to deal with it. They did not want to have themselves in that place. I had him as a top 20 football player. He's really, really good on the interior of the defensive line. But yeah. because of that heart condition, that's a deal that everybody said no on. Oakland, no, didn't work that way. Arden Key. Arden Key disappeared from LSU over issues that you know we'll still say are mysterious. He showed back up extremely heavy. He should have been a first-round pick after his sophomore year. He basically just lit money on fire during his junior year. Oh my People god! Are, this should know, have been the Cowboys' pass rusher pick. That, this that would is have the been guy. Your pass rusher. That would have been the one <laughs> had they decided to do that. And yet, Oakland said, "Yeah, this makes sense for us. He's this kind of value." That, those are the sort of drafts that when you go back years down the road, you say. We got desperate here because a team beat us to a pick. 
Then we started drafting guys that were pretty questionable of character. Oh, by the way, we grabbed one on questionable health, and those drafts tend to fall apart, in my opinion. That's why for Oakland, you know, yeah, good, good luck with that one. Well, the good news is that they their coach is on a year-to-year basis. There isn't a long-term constraint there. He doesn't have all the power in the room. Um, oh, wait, all those things. Oh, oh yeah, and... all those things are... <laughs> all, all those things there uh, from an organizational standpoint are all very bad. And, you know, I mean, you and I, we've been following sports for a long time. How many scenarios um, have you seen where a coach is already starting to get questions surrounding uh, his philosophy and his drafts and his free agency decisions in year one of a 10-year deal actually turning out to be a bargain in year six? Like, this is not going to end well. This is <laughs> our, like, it's, we haven't even played a game with Gruden's return and people are already just scratching their heads of like, ah, what are we doing here? This I, is I've, not good. I've said this for years, Chase. John Gruden makes really good television. He makes faces. He doesn't build football teams. That's not what he does. And, and, and where yeah. he's been successful, he's never built the team. In fact, when he won in Tampa, and he was able to start grabbing more power and consolidating more power. There was two things he didn't do. He didn't win big. You know, the best they were were nine and seven after after he basically took charge. And he never yeah. drafted and developed a young quarterback. That that was just something that he had zero interest in. He was he was more interested in his final year in bringing in Jeff Garcia because he wanted so little to do with a young developmental quarterback. And so, you know, yep. good luck to you, Oakland. I mean, you got Derek Carr. That's already you're in a good place from that standpoint. But don't think this guy's going to be just, you know, picking all the best fruit and then putting together the best food. That's not what he does. Yeah. What do you think Reggie McKenzie does every day now? <laughs> that That's another one of those deals. Like, he's done a really good job in putting that program back together. And unfortunately, after one year where you have a step back, it's, well, Reggie, we're going to bring in this guy and we'll uh, we'll see what we're going to do. I, I think that at some point, a guy like Reggie McKenzie, you know, obviously from his history in Green Bay and what he's been able to, uh, what he's been able to do in Oakland, if he ever gets free, he'll be fine. He'll be, he'll be another one of those guys that immediately is plugged into somebody else's front office and given a pretty large role. The Falcons, because they hire a bunch of ex-GMs, so like he can join Scott Pioli and Dimitrov and everybody else and uh, join the party. Yeah, I mean, there is such a thing as brain drain in the league. You know, teams yep. want to raid other teams and their organizations and, and having smart guys you know you, you know, give credit to the new orleans saints everyone who wants to point out their drafts you know especially the the previous year's draft where they had one of the most phenomenal drafts oh that, please tell me you're about to lead this into jeff ireland mania there's jeff ireland there is there is a guy who do as their director of college scouting that is a yeah. big deal i mean you want to compare mickey loomis's track record for the past five years of drafts versus what they did with jeff ireland in that position you it's it, it's night and day and so yeah I, I think that's there's always a guy behind the guy um when you can add that kind of talent to an organization you know jeff ireland you can take a look at, at his drafts in dallas oh four oh five oh six it's the same kind of deal yeah i mean he's been a huge addition it's weird was he crossed paths with parcells in miami didn't he they worked together yeah parcells actually when he landed as the the vp of football ops brought in ireland as his gm in fact right uh parcells and sean payton's really close to parcells right aren't they pretty buddy yeah uh sean payton he had had the play calling responsibilities removed from him with the giants Mm. and that was the year they went to the super bowl you know a lot of people forget sean payton was their oc he got the play calling taken away from him well to be fair though it worked out because they did not score an offensive touchdown in that super bowl so no no things were things things were bad there but (laughs) the, the bigger deal ends up being is that Parcells saw talent in Peyton and brought him in as his, his 
passing game coordinator in Dallas. And so that entire group, you know, that, that, that group all, you know, hung together. It was the Jeff Ireland, you know, it was, it was Sean Payton. It was all those guys. They all crossed paths in Dallas under Parcells. They're all, they're all Parcells guys along with Mike Zimmer. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I didn't even think about Mike Zimmer being a Parcells, but that, that makes sense. Um, do you want to talk about Matt Ryan for a second? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a big contract. It's the five year, 150 million. But I, I think the, 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 the details, you know, of what it really is, it's a five year extension building off his six years. And so in total, he's going to make on average a little bit over 28 million per season. So that's, I think everybody gets caught up in the headline of, Oh, 30 million first 30 million guy. Yeah. The extension's 30 million, but his rolling average is a little bit over 28, which is right in line yeah. with what Kirk cousins was at. So, you know, mm-hmm. I, I think what happened is why it took so long. The, the Falcons need financial resp- uh, re- flexibility over the next couple of years because of the guys they need to get signed. Grady Jarrett needs mm-hmm. a new deal. Jake Matthews, they got to figure out what they're going to do there. Uh, you know, Deion Jones is going to, before you know it, after this year, he goes in the final year of his deal. He's going to need a new deal. And so Matt Ryan, from a percentage of the cap standpoint over the next two years, takes up 9% and 13%. So over the next two years, the Falcons have the flexibility to sign their own guys. And I think that's, that's so much of what this deal ended up being. It's how do we structure it so that the young players on the Falcons can be re-signed when the time comes. Would you re-sign Deion Jones? Because I wouldn't. I don't understand the linebacker thing. Like It seems like that's become like the on the defensive side. It's basically the running back position now. Like The Super Bowl teams this past year both had absolutely terrible, depleted linebacking core. And I just... I don't get it. Like I get Deion Jones is great, but with teams now running the nickel more than anything else, like I, I don't understand why you would pay a linebacker. Well, he is the prototype now for what you're yeah. looking for. It's you know fast I, I, can cover. It, that yeah, I, I, I go back to this. I always say it's about taking away space now. You know, it used to be I got my big middle linebacker. He's 255 pounds and he hammers yeah, those people. Days are gone. He, yeah, those days are gone. There's there's so much nickel in this league. You know, sixty five percent of your snaps, you're going to be in some sort of package along those lines. Deion mm-hmm. Jones looks like a safety, and yet he's playing yeah. linebacker, and and that's that's what works now in the league. And so, I, I, I for me, I think you pay special. If if he continues okay. to be special, you pay special because you're going to get special production. It's like Luke Keekley, kind of like Sean Lee. Yeah, if if you're able to do special things on the field, you're going to get paid. The, the thing is, too, you know, linebackers, uh, they're not really making as crazy of a money as you think. You know, a, a guy like mm-hmm. Anthony Hitchens, who was playing in Dallas, is now he got the he got the most money at linebacker this past all season. It was nine million dollars on average. Most of these guys are sitting right around eight to nine million. So it's not like mm-hmm. you're you're talking about a left tackle or somebody where it's fourteen, fifteen million. They, they, they get paid according to what their value is in the league. But if you got a good one the things you can do in a nickel defense. I think that's where guys like Deion Jones, that's, that's some of the quality to, that are, that are getting some of these smaller guys, like even Roquan Smith at you know, six, one, two it's getting those guys drafted because of what some of these smaller guys are doing. The Matt Ryan stuff though. So the Falcons Twitter account tweeted out the best is yet to come after that deal was signed. And that actually kind of irritated me because we all know that's not true. Like he, it's not it's paid for past performance like Matt Ryan was he had a lot of bad breaks last year and if you watch them at all like a lot of the stuff a lot especially a lot of the picks were not his fault but the Kyle Shanahan year is going to be the best year of his career like that that's it like there's no way he's going to ever come close to putting up the kind of numbers and the kind of season that he did two years ago and that's fine but like hyping it up is like 
this is the best is yet to come. I mean, for from the team standpoint, sure, maybe. But Matt Ryan, I, I think, wouldn't you agree that we've already seen the best iteration of Matt Ryan for the Falcons? Yeah, we, we saw it okay. two years ago. I mean, keep this in mind, too. This is the going rate for professional high-end quarterback play in the NFL. Right, yeah. But we are talking about two years ago, they scored the seventh highest amount of points in NFL history. I mean, we're, we're not talking yeah. about, oh, it was good for Matt Ryan. Oh, he played really well on a team that, that had a good year. They were one of the best offenses in the history of the NFL. I mean, we're, that's, we're, we're talking, you know, uh, you know, greatest show on turf kind of offensive yep. numbers, those kind of point totals. So to say that we've seen the best of Matt Ryan, yeah, we have. You know, how often do you then have somebody follow it up with that kind of a year? In fact, I remember doing a whole bunch of stuff going into last year. The only team in NFL history that's been able to back up that kind of point total with another year of that were the St. Louis Rams. You know, the, mm-hmm. the 2007 New England Patriots, you know, in part because of injury, did not follow up on being the number one offense and, and the highest scoring team in, in, the, in the history of the league. Same thing with the Denver Broncos. They made it a point after they were the highest scoring team. We got to change this thing. We got to play better defense. And then you go back to even the, the Minnesota Vikings, who were incredible that one year. Then they had issues at quarterback play. Randall Cunningham couldn't stay on the field, and they just they all, they fell apart it is very rare to maintain that kind of high level of offensive play. And so for everyone yep. who gets upset about the Falcons, yeah, you lost, you lost basically what was, you went from a 35 point per game team to a 23 point per game team. That's, that's pretty big in the league. For sure. And I think a lot of the frustration too, seemed to be like the red zone issues. And I don't, the Sark stuff, man, I just, I've gone back and forth on this. I liked the hire when it first happened of like the outside the box stuff, because so many teams are like trotting out like the Daryl Bevels of the world and just doing these retreads and they took a shot. They took a flyer on somebody and I'm, I'm pretty concerned. Are you surprised they brought him back for a year or two? Because I, I don't know with this much firepower now with how much you're paying Matt Ryan, how much you're paying Freeman, the Julio stuff. Like I just... I didn't really understand why you would bring him back because there's just too much on the line with this team. Well, it's all on Dan Quinn. And this was, yeah. uh, again, Dan Quinn did not interview a bunch of people or, well, we're going to talk to four or five candidates. This was his guy. And so given Dan Quinn that he's been successful and he's basically running the organization as, you know, he, he's the one who decided that Thomas Dimitrov is staying, that, oh, I can work with this guy. So you are talking about a guy who's, who's working from a place of power. Dan Quinn decided that Steve Sarkeesian was his guy. If it doesn't continue, you know, if, if they continue to have struggles this season, well, then I think you'll, you'll perhaps see a change. Uh, you, you know, they, they've made it a point to bring in some other people that can kind of help the offense, kind of take a look around, you know, new quarterback coach, things along those lines. Okay. But, that's Greg Knapp. Who's entering his 17th uh, tenure in uh, Atlanta. That dude has come back and left as yep. Atlanta's quarterback coach at least 17 times. Yeah, I mean, he was the last time he was here was during the Michael Vick era. So that's that's how long we're talking <laughs> about. You know how he's been around NFL circles for a long yeah. time. But but I think that's it's a comparison of what you just said versus what Steve Sarkeesian's NFL experience has been. Steve Sarkeesian yeah. has been in the league for two minutes. Greg Knapp has been around for you know, again going back to when Michael Vick was here. So you are talking about a, a much different level of experience, another set of eyes. If that strengthens things for their offense and gets them going in the right direction, well then great. If not then this is going to be on Dan Quinn to have to move on from his guy. And that's the thing. Steve Sarkeesian is strictly a Dan Quinn hire, a Dan Quinn guy. He went and grabbed him out of Alabama you know, because he knew who he was and had, had interactions with him in the past. 
So let's look into front office Lewis's crystal ball. Is, there, is Steve Sarkeesian the offensive coordinator for the Falcons in year three? Yeah, because I think that this organization, okay. especially Dan Quinn, there's a headstrong nature that I don't. I, they'll let guys move on, even when they make mistakes. They won't fire people. They just kind of let them move along. Well, I think you'll get some improvement out of Steve Sarkeesian in year two. I think that they'll score some more points, and then it becomes that that chew toy. It's a dog chew toy. You know, it's mine. I'm going to make sure it works. Well, coach, it's not working as great as it was with the guy, other guy. Yeah, but I don't care. It's mine. I think that's the, the kind of way this is going to play out over the next couple of years here. Yeah, I would encourage Falcons fans not to watch the Matt LaFleur offense in Tennessee this year because that might cause you to bang your head against the wall <laughs> over and over again. That's the most insane part to me is they could have just promoted him to OC. You I, had I'll him in never house, understand yeah. that. Yeah, had you him in had house, him. had him good to go. It's that That's the one that's going to bite um dan quinn i think but anyway um last thing i wanted to touch on the spurs team you're very familiar with fan of bad year not fun was this the most frustrating year for you as a spurs fan no no not at all okay okay okay. now keep in mind i go back with the spurs my family's been season ticket holders since 1989 so i've 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 seen some things you know i've been been (laughs) through some seasons i I, I still have uh, visions of the dream shake from like 95 and go, I, we can't stop Hakeem Olajuwon. That's, that's just awful. I, I still have the you vision remember of Larry Brown coaching the, the Spurs. I, hey, Larry Brown. You know what? I, I had, I had a Jerry Tarkanian for like 19 games at one point. So I, you know, again, mm. been through some stuff. I still remember yep. Charles Barkley, whenever they'll show like his playoff highlights, one of them is, is draining a jumper over David Robinson to end a series. I, I've been through some stuff. Here's the thing. This year was both, oddly rewarding but then at the same point oddly frustrating because the the streak of winning 50 games a year comes to an end you know something like 17 years something silly what they were doing so that that part came to an end but at the same time it, it was a team that was basically contending as, as most of the year they were the three seed they ended up falling down the the, the, you know, the rankings in the west you know towards the end of the year but they were playing pretty good basketball over the course of the entirety of the season without their best player, without, in my opinion, a top five player in the league. And so from that standpoint, it was, there was a party that went, okay, that was, that was encouraging. The system worked, but the reasons that they didn't have Kawhi Leonard were incredibly frustrating. And I've been hearing about it from friends of mine that cover the team for the entirety of the year. And so, so, so what's, you know, I'd call them up and what's going on over there. They've just always say this, the, the, the NBA mentality finally found its way into San Antonio, that there was finally a crazy uncle that had the ear of a player. And this is the direction it was going to the organization was incredibly frustrated with that family member, but what are you going to do? That's Kawhi's family. And so that you, you see those sort of things in other NBA cities, you don't see them in San Antonio. That situation found its way into San Antonio this year. With all that said, and I think the uncle you're talking about is the one in New Jersey, right? Who like wants to push him towards a big market and everything else. And Kawhi's from LA, so that's why all the teams are that are circling the Spurs right now are you know, Lakers, Clippers, Knicks, Nets, anything like that. But if you're RC Buford, your pop, do you entertain the idea of trading him, or do you just give him the supermax this summer and say we're going to deal with this and we'll we'll, we'll get past it? And try and do what they did with Lamarcus Aldridge, where Pop sat him down. And but I think this is just different, like you said, because there are outside influences that Pop can't control, and the organization can't control. Yeah, and that's what's different. It, it's if you would have asked me during the draft last year, is Lamarcus Aldridge going to be a spur? I mean, no, it's it's not going to happen. You know, they tried 
to move him during the draft. They just didn't like what any of the offers were. And so they decided, okay, we're going to hold on to him. Uh, you know, obviously there's that well-publicized meeting that Aldridge just said, you know, I was very honest with him and he, he basically said, yeah, I didn't coach you right. They have a way. And here's the thing about the Spurs because everything is built on relationships there. You know, everything is about dinners with pop and here's how the organization runs. You know, this is, this is a team when Monty Williams lost his wife, pop invented a position to bring him in house so that he would be uh, essentially still in NBA basketball on a regular basis while still getting to be around his kids, you know, every single night, you know, when, when Tim Duncan went through his divorce, you know, there's a reason why there's still uh, a place for, for, for Duncan to show up and work out, you know, that it's, that place is a weird home for a lot of guys. And so to say that it can't be worked out, I think would be, you know, kind of extreme because for some reason they always seem to, to work everything out. But that Supermax is such a big deal that I think if, if you don't feel like he's on board, then you make the move and you say, you know, we're going to do this while, we, while we've got the leverage to do it. If he decides and everything looks like it's going to be okay and, and everyone's good moving forward, then you give him the Supermax, you flush it, and you just keep moving like they did with Aldridge. What do you think ultimately happens there? Do you think Kawhi is actually on this team to start next year, or is he gone? Uh, I, I go back. I'm, I'm a dollars and cents guy. It's it's too much money to play this game out. You know, at some point, you know, crazy uncle, whatever uncle, he's you know been been a very important guardian in Kawhi's life. I get that. At a certain point, the difference in the supermax versus just getting, let's say, a four year deal from somebody if you walk or if you go spend one year with somebody, uh, you know, here's what you're going to get the money is such a different extreme that I think that ultimately that's going to win out. And so we'll see if it happens. You know, it's, there's very few LeBron but James. Would you actually be nervous about it? Like it's Kawhi Leonard. You already know what you have there. It's not like a DeMarcus Cousins Sacramento thing where I can understand why Sacramento was really anxious about whether or not they were going to offer him the Supermax. And then there's like the Russell Westbrook thing in OKC, but like it's Kawhi Leonard. He's a top five player. You know, when he's on the court, you're a title contender, like no matter what, for the next like five to eight years. I just... Chase, here's here's what I go back to, and this is what I, I kept saying. You know, everyone would say, "Well, it's because it'd be reports." Kawhi Leonard is upset with this. Kawhi Leonard's this, and I would always say, "That's a lie." Kawhi doesn't have any feelings. Like the the man is just stoic. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't have feelings. He doesn't feel anything. Well, this year has shaken me on that. I don't know where his yeah. head is at, and, and and the fact that he's so quiet and he doesn't talk makes you wonder even more. The man is the Sphinx. What is the Sphinx thinking? Um, that is, that is something they'll have to figure out in house. And, and it's like any other Spurs fan, you just say, trust in pop, trust in RC Buford. If they decide that this can't be fixed and they move him, that was the only decision that could be made. And so I'm, I believe that the money wins out eventually, but uh, again, you know, it's, it's, I, I don't, I don't know anything about Kawhi Leonard other than the fact that he is just that guy that you can't ever get a read on. And that's what makes him so tough on the court. And obviously it makes him tough in this situation too. Well, you know what really helped is not being there the entirety of the playoffs. Like, nowhere to be seen, just completely gone. That was just weird. And the more people I read and listen to about it, like, I didn't think anything of it when it was going on. But the more and more I've read, like, it's just, it is weird. And it really does feel like he's going to get moved. But at the same time, moving a top five player in the NBA and... uh it doesn't have a good track record for those teams that end up trading away superstars. Like you, it's, you're never going to get a hundred cents on the dollar. Like no. if the Spurs trade Kawhi, they are in really bad shape and there's no perfect trade. There's no perfect guy that you would have to hope that they would be able to flip him for another superstar. But that's not a possibility. Like, I don't know if there is a situation where they could really 
just avoid a full-on teardown. And then, like, if you trade Kawhi, then you have to go, okay, now what do we do with LaMarcus? What do we do with whoever? Like, Ginobili, does he come back if they know they don't have Kawhi next year? And then Tony Parker still sit Like, he's on... I think he's a free agent after this year. He, he is a free um, agent, yeah. Yeah, so, like, it's a... Suddenly, like, the Spurs are in this unbelievably chaotic state and then it's like pop who it seemed like he was staying around because of Kawhi, where it's like i can contend and i can be with this guy and then that's it but if kawaii has gone is pop gonna sign up for a long-term rebuild again especially with everything that's gone in his personal life and everything else like suddenly the spurs are just in this chaotic mess if they decide to move on from Kawhi. that's why like i think he is so important to keeping everything status quo which is super important in san antonio and if you decide as an organization that you're not going to offer him the Supermax because that's what it's going to take to keep him is you're going to have to pay him that kind of money. It just, I, I don't know what happens here, but I know it's not good. I'll say this and, and I'll, I'll, I'll be done with my Spurs diatribe for, for the <laughs> okay. first time since 1997, real NBA issues are happening in San Antonio. And for the second time since 1987, that's how long this is. This program has been going the way it's been going, where they have real NBA issues and they really have to figure out what they're doing. It hasn't been since they fired Bob Hill after winning 60 games and having the injuries in 97 that they did that they have not been in this kind of a chaotic state. It's not good. Not good. Well, I'm sorry, Lois. I didn't want to end this on a bummer for you, but at the same time, you know, it's a good day. It's a it good, happens. Uh, yeah, it happens. Spurs will be all right. I mean, Trust the process. Uh, Carlos, this has been great. I'm glad we were able to catch up today. Um, we can find you on Twitter at Front Office Low, so we can listen to you at 680 The Fan and the Chuck and Turnoff Show. Uh, let's talk again soon, man. Yeah, sounds good, Chase. Make it a party, man. Thanks, bro. That's it. And that'll do it for today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. I uh, just want to remind you guys, if you like today's episode and you are subscribed on Apple Podcasts, or iTunes, I would really appreciate if you could take a second, leave the show a five-star rating and a review. If uh, you're not an Apple podcast listener, remember you can find the show on Spotify, TuneIn Radio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, uh, Google Play, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Uh, be sure to check out chasethomaspodcast.com where you can access all of my previous episodes and also find all my writing. I'm writing there fairly often. And also follow me on Twitter at chase underscore thomas and like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash Chase Thomas Writer. Uh, thank you for your support, and we'll be back with another episode very soon. Thanks, guys.